Welcome, it's Dr. James Beckett again, Sports Card Insights with Jeremy Lee of Sports Cards Live. There's no confusion there. I've been delighted to interview other podcasters and Jeremy's actually a, a YouTube guy that has some really interesting material. He does it, he, he, he takes as long as it takes and it's always interesting. So I've listened to a bunch of them, not all of them, but I get Jeremy all to myself but this right now to have an interview and hear about his hobby origin story and how his podcast, his YouTube channel, how he got the idea and how much fun he's having in doing that. So first, thanks sponsors, Top Spinini Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugs and Scott Auctions, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. So welcome, Jeremy. I'm really eager to hear your origin story of how you got from wherever you were to where you are now. And I believe you're in Canada. Yes, sir. I am. I'm in Calgary, Alberta, Canada right now. I'm originally from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. I lived there for the first 30 years of my life and I moved here to Calgary in uh, 2002. So you and your listeners can do the math and figure out that I'm, I'll give you the quick answer. I'm 48 years old. And so I've been collecting cards pretty much as far back as I can remember. I started off in, I would say 1979 is as far back as my memory of cards go. I would have been seven years old. And I had some cousins and I remember being over at their house one day and seeing uh, in my, my older cousin's bedroom, he had some 1978-79 Opeechee hockey cards just kind of strewn all over his floor. And I sort of picked them up and was looking at them and thought, wow, this is pretty cool. I, I could read and understand the, the statistics on the back. And I saw these pictures of these players on the front that, you know, I was going to WHA games in the 70s in Winnipeg and with my father back in the, at the time. He used to go to probably 10 or 15 games a season. So seeing these cards, it, it was a link to that. And uh, that's kind of what got the, the, the blood flowing as far as my collector gene, I suppose. And then, you know, a few years went by and I was in grade school, elementary school. And um, I remember in 1981, the Winnipeg Jets drafted Dale Howarchuk first overall. And that was a pretty big deal because uh, the Winnipeg Jets were never a good team. Uh, well, never a good team in the NHL. They were great in the WHA winning Avco Cups, but they were basically stripped of their superstars when the WHA and the NHL merged in 1979 or 1980 and that we were not a very good team. All of a sudden they drafted this young player named Dale Howarchuk, who was the first overall pick. And uh, you know, he kind of gave us all this hope. And I remember when the 82, 83 Opeechee cards came out and I remember opening them, looking for that Dale Howarchuk card. It was the first time we had a card of him. And uh, really, I would say that was the, the true beginning in terms of me you know, collecting the base set every year, or I, wouldn't, I don't even know if we call it the base set. It was just the set back then, collecting the whole set every year. <laughs> All, all 396 cards. And so from 1982 until 1989, I was one of these kids that was out at the local drugstore or the, the corner stores buying the packs, you know, the wax packs and building those sets basically from my $2 a week allowance. And but, no, uh, but Jeremy, no selling. Okay. At this point, you're strictly a collector. You might be trading a little bit, but no dealing. Is that correct? Ab absolutely no, no dealing, Jim. I was, uh, you know, we're talking about, I was 10 years old in 1982. And by 1989, you know, I would have been, I guess, 17 years old. And I was in high school and I was still with a few friends we had in common. And we would go out and buy the cards and put the sets together. And I know I wasn't doing any dealing. However, the 88, 89 year, I did put together a few sets. And I do remember being in high school and selling a couple of sets for 10 or $15 to some friends just because I had extras. And then I was spending a lot of time at Joe Daly's sports cards in Winnipeg. Joe Daly's an old NHL and, and WHA goaltender, and he had, had a store in Winnipeg. And uh, so I spent a lot of time there on the weekends. But my, my original local card shop was, was called Abdi Cards, in, also in Winnipeg. And I remember spending many, taking the bus downtown, spending many weekends there, buying singles. I bought my first Mario Lemieux rookie from there for 25 cents the year it came out. Fast forward to the late 80s, I started really honing in on collecting the rookie card of all the thousand point men in NHL history. And I remember buying my first Bobby Hull rookie card 
from Joe Daly sports cards. And that was the biggest purchase I'd ever made. After high school, I actually went to Australia for a year just on, on the students working abroad program. And I remember, you know, missing home. This is before internet and cell phones. So there was no contact really, except the odd telephone call. And I managed to find a, a store in, in Sydney, Australia that sold some basketball cards. And I was buying up packs of Skybox, again, just to, to remind me of, of home. And anyway, I came back from Australia in uh, the middle of 1991. And I started working at a card shop sort of part-time. And then my parents and myself, we decided we we're going to open up a card shop in Winnipeg. And we did. It was called JJ's Sports Cards, and it was located on Grant and Centennial in Winnipeg. And uh, we ran that shop for about three years. It was the beginning of the, the you know, the, 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 the mass production era, you could call it. So I did that for a while. And so, you know, I did become a seller, but my stake in that shop was based on my collection. I had two sets of every year of Opeachy going back to the Wayne Gretzky rookie year. So I contributed one set to the store. And then I contributed all of the commons from the other set to the store. And I kept the rookies for my own collection. And that was my stake. And we ran that shop for a few years. And one thing that's interesting is that, you know, I always had my own Gretzky rookie. And as the years went by and, you know, the, as the weeks and months went by, people would bring in Gretzky rookies to the shop for us to buy or sell or trade from them. And I always kept the nicest one for myself. And I still have that card to this day. It was, I, it could be kind of the result of trading up, trading up, trading up. And I had a grade in 2008 and it was graded by uh, PSA at that time as a 7.5. So I still have my original Wayne Gretzky rookie card. So and, and Jeremy, the, just to point out, that's, those are the OPG, which is way better than the tops. And, yeah. Because I guess you probably didn't even see tops if you're up in uh, Calgary and Winnipeg. It's, it's always OPG, which is, which were better. They were just better sets. They weren't necessarily better condition with the edges, but they were, they were more inclusive, more complete sets. Exactly. They, they, they had more cards in them. The OPG sets went up to 396 in most years, whereas the top sets went to like 264 or something, whatever it was. So yeah, you got more players and you got more players from the Canadian teams. And, and OPG was the, really the Canadian version of the tops card. So we, that's what we had up there. So yeah, so it was the OPG. Listen to your, uh, I mean, fast forward to your, to get to your podcast. I really want to hear how you went from being a kid collector. That's pretty savvy all of a sudden having a podcast. That's an awful lot of fun where you're drawing on a lot of knowledge. So, so move forward into the other decades to, to, because I I really enjoy your podcast and I just wonder how you had the idea to do that and, and how you got the name. Uh, Yeah, no, great question. So, you know, I've been setting up the card shows now for 15 years and I've made a lot of contacts that way. You know, when, when the whole pandemic really started, so it was middle of March, I believe I I was, you know, things had slowed down in the hobby a little bit or not slowed down in the hobby, I should say slowed down with in terms of just life, social interaction. And I started to really consume more uh, hobby content. And one day I decided, you know what, I've got all these uh, vintage cards that I want to sell and I need somewhere to sell them. So I went to a Facebook group and I asked the moderators, I said, hey, do you mind if I go live one night in your group and just show the cards and show them to the camera one at a time and tell the people how much they are and, and sell them? And they said, okay, go ahead, but don't show anything after 1990. You can only show vintage. We're a vintage group. I said, great. Lo and behold, the next night I went live, I was on for about an hour and a half. I showed a couple hundred cards. I ended up doing several deals from that. And then afterwards, I got some people writing to me privately saying, hey, that was great. You should do it again. And that was kind of when the light bulb went off. And then I thought to myself, but I've got modern cards too. So where am I going to do this? Well, there's dozens of modern card Facebook groups. How am I going to pick one? And I thought, well, wait a second. I should create a new group just for live broadcasts, just for live Facebook live broadcasts of, uh, of showing your cards. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll call it Sports Cards Live. That's a great, that sounds like a good name. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I better check out if there's one already on YouTube by that name. So I went to YouTube and I searched for Sports Cards Live and there was nothing by that name. So I secured the name. And then I realized, okay, so I think I'm going to actually do this in, on YouTube and see how can I do it on YouTube and Facebook? And how can I do it where, the, where I see these people doing it, where they have two people on the screen at the same time from different locations? 
So I did my research. And I realized there's services that you can subscribe to and use to do that to produce uh, a pot or a, a YouTube show or a, you know a video that has guests on it or multiple people, multiple topic talking heads. And so you know I did my research, and then I thought, well, I better I better come out with a bang. You know, if I'm going to start this thing, I've got to find somebody to join me who's going to make it more interesting than just me. And so I reached out to my friend Carvin Chung, who is uh, you know someone who worked for. Upper Deck and Panini. He's been around the block. He's well known. And he's been a friend of mine for over 15 years. And uh, he agreed to come on. And so he was my first guest on what was episode number two. I did one myself just first to lay out the foundation of things. That was on April the 18th, I believe. And uh, but the, the biggest the biggest thing that kind of pushed me to get started, Jim, was when I was doing my research into how do you stream live and how do you really create content? The one thing that I saw from the, the various people that I seek advice from, which were usually other people on YouTube who provide this sort of advice, the common thread was, you just have to get started. Don't worry about perfection. Don't worry about making it exactly how you want it. Just start and then improve as you go. And I can't tell you how important that was to me getting to me to me getting to where I am right now with Sports Cards Live because if I didn't take that advice, I don't know when I would have started. And because I can be a, a perfectionist, and um, in this in this arena, I decided you know what, just get started and let's see where it goes and how it grows organically. My sentiments exactly, but I mean that's kind of the definition of an entrepreneur of somebody that just jumps in and sees an opportunity. But you mentioned you were an accountant by training. Are you more entrepreneurial or because most accountants are not necessarily risk averse, but they're, they're, it's like I said, it's not perfectionistic. You, you don't want to be wrong. So that was my sentiment. Exactly. I'm going against type to jump out when I don't, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to work out, but I'm confident that it will. It sounds like that was your thing, but do you, do you work for, do you have a, is this a side gig? Do you work for a large company? Or are you in business for yourself or what, what is your normal situation? Yeah, I work. Uh, I work for a company. We're a retail. We're a retail-oriented business, and um, we are a franchisor and a company that has corporate stores. We have 55 stores right now, with several more opening. And um, so, I'm the vice president of finance for our company. So, the the sport collecting cards has been in my life, my whole life. It's been a big part of my life for you know as far as I can remember back, as I've explained. But it's really just a hobby for me. And the Sports Cards Live YouTube show is a hobby within the hobby. And it's, you know, it certainly has become a, a time consumer, but I'm, I'm completely enjoying it. But you asked if I'm an entrepreneur. It's funny because my, my LinkedIn profile says entrepreneurial accountant. That's kind of how I look at myself. So I'm not a uh, guy who just sits in an office working in Excel and accounting systems. I try and take a more operational role in, in the companies that I've worked for along the way. And uh, currently, and for sure with my current employer. But it's, yeah, it's... It's a nicer way of saying creative accountant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, creative accountant has some other implications. Yeah, other but. Yeah. You know, I'm realizing that when I quit going to the uh, expo in Toronto, it sounds like that's when you started going. Because I, I started all through the 90s in the early, very early 2000s. But I went to all those early ones. And then I really haven't gone the last 15 years or so. And I think that's when you've been going. That's right. I was going from about 2003 until current, but I started setting up as a vendor in 2005 or six. So yeah, I think I just missed you there. And Abdi was was a, a contributor for our first hockey price guys, quite quite a bit. I don't know about yeah. Joe Daly, but uh, they they've been in business. Yeah, they were in business a long time. I think they're still in business, but they haven't really. I don't think they've adapted to the new you know the social media world. And I'm not sure. I don't think they have a storefront anymore. But yeah, Barry and Dale and Adam were the the three guys from that store. What, tell me about the virtual expo. Did you uh, participate in that? And was that helpful to you? Was it what were the positives or what needs to be improved that, you know, for the listeners that don't know this long running, well-established, really it's, it's the hockey national that's in Toronto twice a year has been, didn't, was not held in May. I was actually, I had, I had plane tickets, hotel reservation, and I was going to be there and, uh, and it got canceled, but it didn't get canceled, canceled. It got canceled, virtualized. 
So how did that work for you? For me, it worked excellent. I was prepared for it. And, uh, you know, there were probably, I think there were only 55 vendors, but there were over 6,000 attendees. And I believe that's like the, the best ratio of attendee to vendor that you're ever going to see at a card show. And I think a lot of people were hesitant to, uh, to try it the first time. And myself and a couple of friends of mine decided, you know, what, let's embrace this and let's help Steve Menzi, the owner of the expo. Let's help him grow this and let's support it and get behind it. And we did. And um, I'll tell you, it was the most, it was, it was extremely fun. I managed to do, you know, about 40 deals sitting in my own basement. It was, it was extremely successful for me. I've like, I've set up at probably 30 or so expos now, and I can say this was probably my second best one ever in terms of revenue. And I didn't have any, no, no flight, no hotel, no rental car, none of that, no boot, no showcase rental. It was, it was great. The problems that it had was that it, you know, it was new to so many people and they didn't know how to navigate it. So I think uh, in order for it to get better next time, and it will be better because Steve is having some round tables and really drawing on the experience of the vendors and the attendees, but just to kind of show ahead of time, the attendees, how to navigate throughout and also coach the vendors on how to better display their wares. And by display that, you know, I mean, how you're better, better digitally going to show the cards you have available. Well, uh, that's uh, enough for today, I think, because I'm trying to keep it to 15 minutes and I knew I'd have difficulty with you because you've got a lot of interesting stories. And this virtual expo, I will, uh, I mean, I popped in a little bit, but uh, let's just leave it on that positive note that, that, that it was enough of a success, that there's real potential for that being a, a, a positive thrust. And maybe I don't have to jump on a plane next time. I could just, I could just go uh, virtually there. So thanks, Jeremy. And thank you, uh, thanks, listeners. I'll be back again tomorrow with another episode.